Hello and welcome to Humanize the Hustle. I'm Alicia Slaughter, and I created this podcast for health-conscious corporate professionals, working parents, and entrepreneurs. Join me and special guests as we talk about the latest in mind-body wellness. Here, we believe that health and happiness is non-negotiable. And just a reminder, this podcast is for the purpose of education only and is not a replacement for medical help. Please seek out the help of a trained professional for help with your specific situation. Okay, now on with the episode. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Humanize the Hustle. Today, I'm joined by Sharon Boren to talk all about why we should consider self-care a necessity rather than a luxury and some easy ideas to incorporate more self-care into your life. Sharon is first a wife and a mother of three teens and also owns a yoga and wellness studio in Waco, Texas. Through this practice, she offers her clients a unique framework for movement and self-care where she combines functional movement traditional Chinese medicine, essential oils, herbs, and breathwork to create customized self-care recipes. What I love about Sharon's approach is that she pulls wellness practices from many healing arts, as well as her own experience dealing with chronic pain. She's devoted to helping people focus on finding support in movement and self-care, and I can't wait for her to share her expertise and inspiration. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. I'm so excited to talk through all the fantastic things that we have on the docket today. And I figured we should just start with a little background around, you know, what got you into health and wellness? Like, why are you so passionate about health and wellness? I think growing up in Santa Cruz County, my mom had a lot of influence of the wellness industry and seeing my mom model some healthy self-care and being immersed in a culture that really believed in it. Yeah, I would say Santa Cruz does have a lot of of healthcare practitioners and very much into health and wellness. So I'm curious, like what what it was your mom yeah. into? Well, my mom was a single mom and she was raising my sister and I and was really into veganism at first. So that was kind of an interesting way. My practices are very different than that now. And we had a lot of ear infections. We lived on a river, like in the Santa Cruz area, there's a creek called the Soquel River, and we lived near it. And we got a lot of ear infections. So she started taking us to acupuncturist, we started going to an osteopath for perennial work. And so it was just a offering that we were able to reach for when we needed wellness. And not to jump too far ahead, but I know one of the things that I really loved about you when I first met you was your foraging. I felt like you you were like an urban forager. Did you learn that from your no, mom? No, I didn't learn that from my mom. That was more out of necessity. Being on that SoCal River, I had access to a lot of mugwort and plantain wild nettle. And at the time, actually, I was a single mom and needed means of financial income. And I started foraging all of the plants that were accessible and available to me and making salves and soaps and learning about the medicinal qualities that they offered. And so that kind of started all of the foraging, ended up going to Northern California Women's Herbal Symposium in California and learning from other women how I can make my own products and why other products in stores were actually really harmful. Yeah. And do you think that started when you first had your daughter kind of being more into the natural stuff? Yeah. The awareness was always there because growing up in Santa Cruz, but looking at labeling and knowing that we had different, I guess, quality of products in America and learning that I can also make things way cheaper that were better for me. But yeah, for sure. When I had my daughter, all of that started. Right. I, I feel like I started to become aware of things before mm-hmm. I had kids, but then when I became pregnant, it went like through the roof. It was, I remember I immediately got rid of my microwave. I started like totally detoxing my whole life, like cleaning products, you know, self-care products. I started paying attention to what I was eating and, and really because I was growing yeah. somebody, yeah. you know, that was like the big motivator. So yeah. that's interesting yeah. that that was like that for you yeah, too. Yeah, I was really young too. I was 21 when I first got pregnant. And so it was an interesting balance of like coming into womanhood, changing and transitioning to a mother and then learning how to take care of an individual that wasn't myself. It definitely, it was hard too, you know, to to kind of take all that information in and evaluate what I was doing and if it was the right thing to do for a person I was creating. Right. 
And I think one of the reasons why you and I connect too is just because like our level of consciousness, I think some people, you know, might, might be growing a baby, you know, or, or might be pregnant. And some of these thoughts don't go into their mm-hmm. heads, but I know you and I, we like very critical thinkers. And I don't know, you want to call it? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe for myself, I'll label myself that, but I became like obsessed, yeah. obsessed yeah. with just doing it right and making sure that the baby was healthy. And then when the, you know, when the babies came out, I was really only wanted in, but I love that you are creating your, your own products. That's, that's the step I never quite took. And I've, I've always really loved that about you all the salves and and your herbal knowledge. And I know we'll get into more of that, but so how was it? I'm curious when you first had your, you know, I'm sorry, what's your daughter's Dolly. name again? Yeah. Dolly. That's right. She's so cute. She's like a little carbon <laughs> copy of you, which I love. So, you know, you're mentioning that it was challenging, which I totally mm-hmm. agree with. And so at that time, did you start to kind of tap into self-care? Like how, how soon did you kind of pick up on like the, the self-care necessities of being a, a single mm-hmm. mom and being a young mm-hmm. mom? Do you feel like that came, you know, early or did it take a while? I think it came pretty early for me, slowing down, becoming more intentional about how I spent my time, what I was feeling in my body. I think part of what was challenging for me is I was surrounded by a lot of college students. And at the time I wasn't taking college full time. I was paying out of pocket to do one class at a time. And as my body was transitioning and as I was experiencing this huge shift and transformation as a mother, my peers were not. And that was challenging on a lot of levels because I think I was insecure about different components of my body changing. I was insecure about my motivation, spiritually what was happening for me. And I had fear because I didn't feel like I had a perfect example of what a mother should be like, what she should do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How that was all going to play out. There was just a lot of vulnerability, honestly, and not like a mentor to guide me. Yep. I can relate on, on a lot of those things. That's that's kind of drawing me to one of the topics of yoga. I know that we wanted to cover today, and I know that you've been a yoga teacher for the last nine years and have a really unique approach to teaching and sharing yoga with people that I want to dive mm-hmm. into. But did at what point did you kind of start to find your connection mm-hmm. with yoga? I know for me personally, yoga has been a huge mm-hmm. teacher in becoming the mom I want to be and just learning that presence and, and learning like yoga has taught me to slow down. And so many things I remember going to yoga and really (laughs) laying there in Shavasana Mm -hmm. and setting my intention for yoga practice that I was going to be calmer Mm -hmm. and not get so frustrated. Mm -hmm. And then I'd be laying there in Shavasana and I remember I'd hear like kids screaming Mm -hmm. outside and I'd be like, that trigger you. This is this is the practice right now. You're practicing because you get so yeah. overstimulated being yeah, a mom. Yeah, absolutely. But I was kind of curious, like at what at what point did yoga mm-hmm. enter the the you know? Yeah, the story? well, actually, I was doing yoga a year before I got pregnant, and I was actually practicing Iyengar and Coralitas with an old teacher and loved it. Then I continued doing yoga throughout my pregnancy and did a prenatal offering. That was another woman in downtown Santa Cruz, actually. And then I kind of stopped, you know, becoming a mom, there was just so many different things that were consuming my time. Pumping was a huge part of what was consuming my time. And I also owned a business that was in a reconverted goat barn. It was a salon. And so I was doing hair full time as well. And I just, I think that my practices with yoga dwindled to more meditation, walking, and a slower way of being in my body until I was probably about 26 and had an emergency appendectomy. I was really into cycling and and doing road, like long road bike cycling. And I ended up having an emergency appendectomy and a friend said, how can we bless you? And I said, I don't know. Well, what if we buy you a Groupon for this studio called Pleasure Point Yoga. It's near you. You're in SoCal. You can get there. And I thought, well, great. Sure. I'll do 10 sessions there. And of course, I tried to like space them out. But the yoga bug kind of caught me. 
And before I knew it, I was going two times a day trying to figure out how I can get like a yin and a flow or sweaty flow and a power flow or a slow flow. And I started going every day. And I remember buying from the owners at that time, a year membership that they were offering to like 15 people. And I would say that Rolf Gates in particular When I took his class, it was the first time I had ever experienced flow state, which was amazing. And I wanted more of it. And in his classes, which were on Thursdays at that time, the languaging that he was using felt so gentle and assertive. I would probably cry every day that we were in twists at the end of our class and I didn't know what was going on. And that's when I became aware that there's like issues that are unresolved deep in my tissues and in my body and that my mat was this beautiful magic carpet ride that I was able to experience when I was able to get there. And all sense of time and identity and problems would float away. And how I was being in a posture was teaching me how I was being in the world. And I got to have that internal landscape of evaluation and it was powerful. So that kind of hooked me in. I started doing a teacher training with Rolf Gates. I then started subbing because in Santa Cruz, that's how you become a teacher, right? You sub a few times and then get on the schedule. And I was still doing hair, but I was also doing yoga and teaching yin first. And that was a really great balance for my body and a really great devoted time to be able to practice within motherhood, within being a business owner, it was a good escape, I'm going to call it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely a turning off. I know when I teach class, it's like you leave everything at the door when you Mm -hmm. walk in. And if you decide to pick it up on the way out, you can, but you kind of come in and you can start fresh. It's like, it's your opportunity to completely clear Mm -hmm. the slate. And as you walk out, you can, you're clear. So you can pick, you can pick and choose what you back out. Yeah. Like there's, physical, emotional, spiritual shifts that occur. And if we're not too holding tightly to a practice also shifting us, it just brings you what you need. And sometimes you go into a class and something's resolved and sometimes it stirs stuff up. And that's what I think starts to occur the longer you practice, that you realize that yoga doesn't judge you if you're there to lose weight. (laughs) It doesn't judge you if you're there to clear off some physical tension. It doesn't judge you if you have emotional tension that you're trying to get to the source of. And I love that about it. No matter why you're there, it's going to offer you what you need. And maybe you might leave and still feel frustrated, you know, not being so attached to the outcome of the practice, but just meeting yourself again and again, wherever you are. And that's essentially self-care, right? It's like getting to the source of your needs without numbing out and being okay with what rises to the surface and then being able to digest from there a direct next right step. Yeah. Yep. And another, so you said a couple things. So I want to go back to your comment about flow yeah. state. I love, I love the idea of flow state. And I think it means a little bit something different for everybody, but I'm kind of curious, like what does flow state mean yeah. for you? Flow state for me is like total meditative absorption into what I'm doing. I lose all sense of time, responsibility, the identity and hats that I've been told I have to put on and carry. And I'm in complete presence of what is happening right now. This breath, this movement, this thought, even if you're having, right? So I would say it's a meditative way of being for me where I can move my body. And some people like to sit down and meditate, and that is very quieting to their mind. I think some people sit down and meditate, and it's it's triggering. A lot of thoughts can arise. And so flow state allows me to be here now. Yeah. I think think it's really hard to sit with yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's something that like yoga as like a lifelong practice. And in, you know, in yoga philosophy... The asana practice is to prepare you for seated meditation. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, 
people will try to come and meditate and they'll try to sit down and I think they'll be frustrated that their brain won't Mm -hmm. turn off or that their body will feel Mm -hmm. fidgety. And, um, I guess I'm saying all of that just because it is Mm -hmm. hard. It is so extremely hard to sit with yourself Mm -hmm. and that's, and to be still Mm -hmm. and just with your Mm -hmm. breath, because there is so much going on in your Mm -hmm. brain. And that's what I do love about yoga is, you know, when you need yoga, when you need yoga to help you drop into that flow state and you're able to connect your breath to movement, Mm -hmm. it is meditative. Mm -hmm. And a, a very focused session of yoga can be just as Mm -hmm. good as a seated meditation Mm -hmm. practice. And I think you can get the same out of it. And I think there's a time and a place for a seated meditation practice when you can access that. But I also think that if, you know, even if it's a walking meditation, Mm -hmm. or I think we are such physical beings that I think it's in tapping into yoga to help you get into that flow state to, like you were saying, I love that explanation of a kind of stopping time Mm -hmm. all around you. There are those moments and that's so supportive for your body and your nervous system and your brain. Like you need that. And there's, there's people I talk to that are just like, I don't get yoga or I'm not, I'm not a yoga person. And I think that if, if you can open up to the idea of what it's trying to offer you beyond just Mm -hmm. the physical practice, I think that's where the real value of it comes. And so you've said so many things that I hope it plants little seeds of people that are listening of just to think of yoga as a little bit different because it is physical. Yes. But that flow state, and when you are in that flow state and those moments where you kind of forget where you are, Mm -hmm. it's complete and total magic. I know we drink the Kool-Aid, but for anybody listening. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I mean, a surfer can get this when they're out on the water. A cyclist can get this when they're biking around. I think there's many sports that can lead us into flow state. It's just whatever you experience and find pleasure in. And sometimes yeah. to people who say that they don't like yoga, which I hear that a lot and I understand it. Yeah. I think yoga hasn't been presented to them in a way that makes them feel safe. One of the things I love mm-hmm. about a practice is that I get to individually have an experience, but it's collectively happening in a community. And it's vulnerable to be in your body and to breathe. And even in our society to sigh can communicate so much if you're in a space of work where in a yoga class, a sigh is a good positive experience that that person's having to the right or left of you. You're happy for them that they're like moving beyond the layers deeper into the landscape of their body. So yeah, I wish flow state for everyone and whatever way it it comes to them. I'm just happy that people can learn how to be present, how to be here now and how to be vulnerable enough to reside into all the edges of our body. Yeah. I I love it. I could talk about yoga (laughs) this whole session, but I know we wanted to get into self-care. So so you're a yoga teacher mm-hmm. and you also pull from all of these other modalities. Mm-hmm. So maybe talk a little bit about the business and the offerings that you have yeah. and, you know, your approach to setting up self-care recipes, as you call them, yes. for your clients. Yeah. Okay. So I have a space in Waco, Texas. It's a beautiful space where I guide people to self-care moments and much of my offerings are functional movement, yin yoga herbal medicine and remedies, and then also checking in with the individual as far as their basic needs. Like, are you having enough water? What's your protein intake look like? Do you have space and time carved out in your calendar for yourself? Are you sleeping appropriately? These are all questions that I would ask a client as I inquire about the source of what their needs might be. And I use a template of traditional Chinese medicine, the five elements, where I can tune into concerns that they might have and prescribe poses or foods or herbs for specific organ points that might be depleted. So a few of my offerings in my physical space would be an hour of one-on-one yoga, mat time with fascial care using fascia balls using a gua sha tool, using blocks or a foam roller, using our mat and straps, our our yoga straps and postures of support. The the second offering would be a 45-minute session on a massage table 
and 15 minutes on the mat to do poses. And I do a procedure or a technique known as symphony of the cells. I use essential oils, a brand known as doTERRA. So they're really clean oils. And I apply these oils down the spine and I start to layer them on top of the spine and then put the oils in the feet as well, because there's several nerve endings along the spine and in our feet. And it's a fast way for plants to enter the body. Then I offer a hot compress and I have a hypervolt massager that I will use over a hot towel to get some target areas. And then I do cupping with silicone cups. I also do gua sha along target areas that might feel tight. And so that's a table treatment. And those are the main offerings, but I also offer workshops. I have small group practices where someone will say, we want a hot to flow. We want a slow flow. We're looking for a vinyasa flow. And that's another service that people can book as well. Great. And so when you are working with a client and you're you're setting up their self-care recipe, what are what are some of these self-care practices that you offer them to practice at home mm-hmm. on their own? Yes, great question. So this changes seasonally with the template of traditional Chinese medicine. So I'm going to give an example. We are approaching spring, which means we're starting to activate our liver, bladder, meridian lines in the body. It means that we're looking at taking in more greens, and we're also wanting to ponder this idea of renewal, rebirth, maybe habits that need to die away in order to create space for new life to occur. So there's a particular set of poses that activate these two meridian lines, and I would want for, if somebody is wood element, that's the element of spring to do these particular postures. But I'd also want them to get outside as much as possible to be in green nature as much as possible to have adequate water to use lemon in their water. As we move into summer, that would shift some of those practices would change, we'd be working heart pericardium, triple burner and small intestine, I'd want somebody to take a soil based probiotic, for instance, I'd want them to have more raw foods if their gut can tolerate it. I would encourage juicing or smoothies, again, if their gut was stable for this. We would be taking postures for all of those meridian lines, which are primarily through the arms. And as we would move into the fall, we would be doing large intestine and lungs. I would be wanting people to dry sauna and skin brush. I'd want them to make sure breath work was a part of grief work if they're dealing with grief in their lungs. So each season, I have different practices that I encourage people to do, because sometimes it can feel overwhelming for the individual to see all of these self-care practices that I encourage them to take, and they're not sure when to do it. And so I say it's okay to switch some things up, but ultimately, you know your body well. And so discovering and listening to your body is going to be best, but it's okay if it changes. It's okay if there's only one thing you can do in a day. It's okay if there's seven things that you want to do. So mainly a lot of the practices right now that we're gearing into is coming out of water element, which is urinary and kidney. Right now, I'm encouraging people to have electrolytes, healthy levels of water in their system, which would be from what I have knowledge of to take their weight divided in half and have that half in ounces. I'd want them to have food from the sea, to be around a body of water, to be practicing a lot of yin yoga if they can to be journaling, to seek out wisdom from spiritual text and from authors, poetry, artists, you know, this would be practices I'm encouraging right now. As we're transitioning into spring here in Waco, I'm going to start encouraging my clients to eat more greens and to have digestional bitters to support the liver, to make sure that your immune system is activated. Perhaps doing a dry sauna right now would be really great for any detoxification to get that lymph activated. I always encourage yin yoga, but more movement is going to be really good. We've had a a time of stagnation in the winter. Think of sinking energy. And now 
things are determined to grow, to have this upward motion. And so a lot of my sequencing for my students is going to have more movement as we're transitioning into spring. Hopefully that makes okay. sense. <laughs> yeah. That's so I want to go back and, and summarize like where we're at. That's all that's all really interesting. I'm I'm learning more and more about traditional Chinese medicine, mm-hmm. but I'm very still in the very beginning. So mm-hmm. for it's clarity and just take <laughs> You know, it's like plants, it's, it's a language. It's I feel like I will always be learning. Like the more, yeah. the older we get, the more we learn, the more we're in this place of, I know nothing. <laughs> or at least I, I am. Seriously, <laughs> the longer I live and the more I learn, the more I realize how very little I know. And it's so freeing actually. Because at first I think when you're, you know, younger or at some point, you know, you know, you're like getting towards a goal of really feeling like, you know so much and you just are very confident in what you know. And I almost feel like it's the opposite. Like the longer I learn and the more I dig in, mm-hmm. I feel more and more confident with how very little I know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like more and more comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, it's good to just be open yeah. and to always be learning and to know that like, Hey, I, I might not know it all. Absolutely. Always being open to that. Yeah. It's free. And what I know might change. I think so many people fear that too. Like, oh, you've said this in the past. Well, now I know better. So I want to do better and that's okay. And I feel like there's a lot of people, you know, out there sharing a lot of knowledge Mm -hmm. and a lot of things that they feel like people should be doing. Mm -hmm. What I love about ancient practices and Chinese medicine, like you were talking, is the connection to the seasons. Mm -hmm is the connection to the elements. Mm-hmm. And I feel like anytime we can be more connected to the natural cycles of earth, that's what you should be focusing on. So I feel like people tell you all kinds of different things, but what really attracted me to what you're saying is that it's very, it's very tied into the natural cycles mm-hmm. of the earth and Absolutely. of the seasons. Mm-hmm. So right now we're transitioning from like winter to, to spring, mm-hmm. I guess not quite spring yet. Yes, and so. <laughs> It's very soon. Mm-hmm. So I just want to make sure to recap like where we're at because I'll probably release this in, in springtime, let's say. Yeah, so yeah. here in spring, just recap maybe the the three kind of things. Yeah. Transition, self-care things to transition into spring. Yeah, great question. So I would say spend time in nature or things around things that are green as much as possible, like earthing, laying your body on grass or on dirt keep your body moving. You got to think we're moving things out. There's an image of a river. And anytime there's a dam, that stagnation starts to build disease. And so we're wanting to move stuff forward. I think the third practice would be drink lemon water, lemon, lime, things that are going to activate the gut and also help clear out. So yeah, a, a movement practice, spending time outside and lemon Green mandarin or lime in your water would be a great simple practice that's pretty accessible for all of us, right? I would just add a fourth is just eat more green. Eat more foods that are green right now. Really, you're building chi for your liver that has to sustain all year long. And so this is the time and nature is like completely telling us and reaching for us to use it. We start to see dandelions pop up. Dandelion flowers are edible. You can saute those in some olive oil or ghee with a pinch of salt and your body will really like that. You can blend that in with food if you're not a person who likes bitters. Getting time outside, like you're a huge hit of sunlight through your eyelids or with your eyes open, right? So we can acclimate to what's rising, what's surging forth and what's determined to live. And yeah, I think as far as checking in with yourself too, like what do you need to let go of and allow to die away in order to create space for new life? So if you were watering seeds, what's the most important to water and tend to? Rather than getting overwhelmed by like, I have so much going on. It's okay to to really cut things out and subtract so you can come back to the bare essentials and find what's important for you and what is skillful for your energy to be poured into in this new season. And the rebirth process is hard as we've come through winter, like decomposing soil, right? 
builds nutrients for all of those seeds that have been buried beneath the soil for months. So now we also see what's taken root and take a new life. And so maybe there's a habit that you were practicing and you're getting really into it and you're loving it Then continue with that. That would probably be a way that I would manage my experience and hope of what I want for a new season, but also what's accessible and simple. Yeah. I like simple. Yeah. Simple and I really like good. the suggestions. I feel like anything that is, like you say, accessible, like walking outside, drinking water. Mm -hmm. I will mention one thing about water that I'm really into right now is just get a good water filter. Yeah. I feel like everyone should be drinking the best water that you can. It's like super, super important. So anyone listening, you know, do your research. Make sure the water yeah. you're drinking is free of contaminants. Yes. I know that I have a Berkey. I heard some mm. things back and forth about maybe Berkey having some issues, but I looked into yeah. it and I still feel pretty good about the Berkey. But yeah, I know there's same. lots of options out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I would also add, and maybe you would too, like drink out of glass, especially if you're a woman. No plastic. Yeah. yeah. No plastic. Like your hormones greatly affected by those simple things. And I know for some people, finances can be hard, but if you have a kombucha bottle, like refill it, you know, there's so much that's available to us now. And if you are going to be having lemon, it's going to start to deteriorate that plastic as well. And so it's a huge shift that you can make. That's a simple shift by just drinking out of glass. Yep. I'll, no one can see me, but I'll cheers you with my mason jar. I love it. I love my mason jars (laughs) because I lose things all the time. And I like to get the 32 ounce mason jar and try to focus on drinking two of those a day. And then if I lose it, I can get another one because those $40 um, water bottles. Yeah, I've lost many. (laughs) I've lost many. I feel like every time I travel to Santa Cruz, I'm like, another one bites the dust. It is gone. Yeah. So let's, let's get, let's move on to movement and kind of dig Mm -hmm. into movement because I know that you have a lot to share around that. And so how, talk a little bit about functional movement and the difference, you know, like what is functional movement compared to traditional yoga movement and Mm -hmm. and how can people think about functional movement and, Mm -hmm. and what does it mean? Yes. So functional movement essentially just looks at the individual. So I have many clients from 20, my oldest client that I've been able to be nine. Amazing. And so there's things that the 99-year-old client can't do that the 20-year-old can do. So when I'm spending time with a client, I want to know about any injuries they've had, any pain points that they've had. And I want to be able to adapt a yoga pose or a movement to their body. And what's different about traditional yoga is we're looking at these postures and there's really not very much wiggle room for changing the alignment. And I know that this is a gray area for a lot of people, but as a teacher, I have found functional movement to be more accessible and powerful for almost each person I work with, because I'm looking at their unique needs and then we're adjusting their body from there. And that's what makes it very different than we're just going to do Virabhadrasana one. You have to stack your hips like this. You have to have your foot like this. And I did come out of Iyengar as my first practice. And I've moved into functional movement because I want yoga to be accessible for every single person. And there's just some postures that aren't accessible. And so if we can change a prop, if we can take a pose on our back and we're still meeting a target area, then we've met the pose. Yeah, And so that's what makes functional movement different than just a traditional yoga class of like, alignment base, we're only going to do this. I'm looking at the individual, looking at the tension in their body, looking at their ability level, and being able to move their body to make a pose that's just right for them. Yeah. I'll share a quick little story. And I think it will be a good segue into pain management Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and just movement in general. So I've been practicing yoga for about 15 years. I've been very active almost my whole life. And what's happened recently is that I have created some bad habits Mm -hmm. 
through trying to follow, you know, traditional yoga cues, you know, like the tucking of your pelvis, which has Mm -hmm. completely made it so that I'm not using my glutes and my hamstrings in the right way. And I'm not using my lower core in the right way. So Mm -hmm. yoga as a, as a movement practice, I have learned that coming into those postures in the same way with the yoga cues that are, I'll say it, maybe no one's going to like this, but antiquated, antiquated, you know, and creating a lot of bad habits. So I'm just saying that for, you know, anyone that is going to a yoga class, if the teacher does not tell you to listen to your body first above everything else, red flag. (laughs) Yeah. Red flag. Yeah. Listen to your body Mm -hmm. and, and just know that coming into a posture or into a movement repetitively over and over and over again, in the same way, you're going to create bad habits and you're going to get injured. And mm-hmm. most people who are active and most people who practice yoga enough will switch over to functional movement because mm-hmm. they will have something go on with their body mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where you're like my body, like right now I'm dealing with chronic pel- pelvic and hip pain because mm. I have just, you know, even the old adage of like putting all your weight in your heels when you're yeah. squatting, yeah. that is not, that, that's created bad habits for me too. Yeah. So it's been really fascinating. I'm going doing, you know, going to acupuncture to help deal yeah. with the pain and, and lessen up the gunk that's in there. I'm going to a physical yeah. therapist that's helping me relearn how to just even breathe and stand correctly. So yes. functional movement is the key to this because that is a very, like you were saying, it is the movement that is going to be the best for your body. Mm-hmm. And it really undoes a lot of those bad habits of yeah. repetitive movement that is not, yes. that is not a one, that is a one size fits all, which is not mm-hmm. going to be appropriate. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of my my little story of how I've been dealing with pain. And you were mentioning the fascia balls, which I'm like obsessed yes. with. And they're amazing. So many. <laughs> they self-care. are a life changer. Yes. So that's kind of mm-hmm. go into pain because I feel like a lot of people will be able to relate with the idea of, of pain and just how to create a movement practice that supports mm-hmm. decreasing pain in your body and not increasing it. So maybe you can kind of tell the story about what happened to you and like how you overcame that and how you tap into a lot of the things we've been talking about to help manage the pain. Yeah. So when I was 30, I'm 37 right now, I was actually driving on my way to Pleasure Point to take a class on my birthday. And I was at a stop sign on the Capitola Bridge and someone was not looking and rear-ended me at about 30 miles an hour. Immediately, I was shocked. I knew my neck hurt right away. And I looked to the left and the car drove off. So at that point, I called the police and they, how are you feeling? What not, you know, all of the procedures that they have to do from there. And I ended up driving home and icing my neck. The next morning I woke up and I started having spasms in my neck and I could not move my neck for three days. I was pretty scared spiritual mentor at that time to come and see me and kind of pray over my body, check in with me, see how I was doing. And obviously I had severe whiplash. I ended up losing full mobility of my right arm. And at the time I was a hairdresser and a yoga teacher. And so I was desperate for how to regain strength, mobility, and awareness in my body after this injury. I ended up going to get massage. A rolfer worked with my neck. I think that it actually did not help. It made it worse, unfortunately. And so I had an acupuncturist at that time, and I just called her. Her name's Jenny. She's amazing. If you're in Santa Cruz, reach out. I'll send her information. Jenny Johnston. And she just started working with me saying, let's see what we can do. She was doing electromagnetic pulsations through the needles. She was doing cupping, gua sha. I had been given PT, a prescription for PT to go. That did nothing. I started eating a inflammatory decreasing diet, no sugar. I was using CBD. I didn't have alcohol. I had an MRI. This injury was a huge teacher, like it changed my life. And for two years, I lived with chronic pain. I had to ice my neck multiple times a day, which is completely not how you deal with things in traditional Chinese medicine. Like ice is a hard no. I was desperate to do anything that was going to get me out of pain. And 
this woman, Jenny Johnston, worked with me multiple times a week for two years and was leading me into trying softer herbal remedies that might help. And I would say it was the only hour I would get throughout the leaf when I was in her office and just being seen by another woman who believed me because Western medicine was telling me there's no damage. We see some bony growths through C4, 5, and 6. Your clavicle is partially detached and you have neurological damage. I ended up with thoracic outlet syndrome and that's where the PT kind of came in. And they were kind of like, there's nothing we can do. Like, we don't know what to tell you. All these things should fix you. And I even had a cortisone injection, two of them in my shoulder. I mean, I was desperate, which went against everything that I had built during my time of motherhood on in finding ways that were clean solutions through my lens, right? But I I learned there's a place for Western and Eastern medicine. And I was using herbal salves that I was making. I mean, whatever I could try, I was willing to do. But through that, it built a template of what I now offer to my students, which is functional movement. It is fascial care. It is gua sha. Using a dry sauna to decrease inflammation. I now eat tons of protein, thanks to you and your help and many other people who have been supporting me in this journey. And that was a huge game changer as well. You know, your connective tissue, your organs, they're made of protein. You need it. And so, yeah, just... Seven years later, now I'm doing CrossFit, as you know, and doing yoga every day, all day, still doing cupping, still using herbs topically and internally for my body. And I'm getting to a place where my pain is manageable. I now just have flare-ups occasionally system. I don't have thoracic outlet syndrome. I do have a neurological disease known as radiculitis. And that sometimes starts around 1.30. I lose flexion of my right arm and have to stretch it with child's pose. So I became my first patient or client, right? And I think listening to my body, tending to my needs in that moment by not numbing out and sitting with pain asking what it wants to teach me, letting fear creep up of like, am I now disabled? Is this my life? Because those are the kind of thoughts you start to get when you lose your movement practice. (laughs) That's what injury will do. It just led me to accessible self-care practices and wellness tools that changed my life. And I still do now to this day. And so one of the things I've learned from my journey is I have been terrible at rolling out and using the fascia Mm -hmm. ball. And yeah, I mean, I don't know what you think about it, but that, that consistent practice of rolling out my legs and using the fascia ball as the the pressure point therapy and some parts in my body that feel really tight. I, I feel like that is something that like could, is a really big takeaway. And I don't know if you would agree, but that self care of just trying to do that as often as possible to, to loosen mm-hmm. things up and, and getting that body work done, self-care, if you can afford yes. it, is like so yeah. key to feeling good in your body. I wholeheartedly agree. And even if you can't afford it, you can have a tennis ball that maybe you find at a dog park <laughs> to use on your body. You know, our fascia is so important. And in our Western culture, interesting story. In traditional Chinese medicine, they dissect and they want to know about what's invisible, what's unseen, right? And so they dissected a bunch of cadavers and they knew that the fascia was important. It's this beautiful web of fabric that's or cheesecloth that binds everything together. And it's beneath your skin and above your muscles. And it has six to 10 times more nerve endings in it, six to 10 times. So here, the Chinese medicine theory was taking fascia out of these cadavers and checking it out and seeing if there was high luronic spirals and granules of liquid throughout the body, which are actually known as meridian lines, right? And then in our Western culture, they would peel the fascia off of a cadaver and throw it away. They were like, That has no purpose. It actually does. It has a really important purpose. It, I think, stems into vitality. We want to hydrate it. We want to massage it. We want to create as much movement within it as possible. And 
if you can get to a practice to where you're learning some trigger points, I see them like constellations throughout our body. If we can go to those ripples in the fascia, those knots and start to work them out, it's going to create so much more more mobility in your entire yeah. body. I mean, so yes, I wholeheartedly agree. If, if we can spend time doing that daily, even if it's five minutes and you're rolling your foot out, even if it's 30 seconds yeah. to create blood flow, attention, proprioception, awareness of your body is vital. It's vital to how you move. And especially, I believe that yoga goes hand in hand with lifting. Yeah. Like strength training should be part of your tool belt that you're using and yoga and stretching and fascial care. They just go hand in hand. They're beautiful together. So even if someone can't afford a massage, you can do essentially self-massage on your own using a fascia ball. And you mentioned the gua sha. I know when we went, I forgot to mention that we're hiking buddies too. So anybody that totally, (laughs) you were on a hike and I remember you brought your gua sha and your, some of your beautiful salve and yeah. yeah, And it was, it was so great after the hike, just to have the gua sha and to be able just to rub out. And of course you and Lily went, went gangbusters on it. And I think you guys were like bruised or something. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, that's, what's funny. Like for anybody who doesn't know our relationship with hiking, I love hiking with Lily and Alicia every year if we can do it. It's a highlight and a joy in my life. And you measure ounces, right? When you are taking stuff, like whatever you take is, it needs to be meaningful. And so just bringing a one ounce tin yeah. of salve and the, the tool, yeah. you know, that was like a part of my contribution. And I'm so glad that we had it when we were up on the mountain, you know, to be able to rub out the neck and just find those areas of pain and just tend to ourselves despite that we created. <laughs> so, so where does someone find information about the trigger points and, and using a fascia ball? Do you have a, a video online or like maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I do. So my website, I have probably over 65 classes available that people can rent. They start anywhere from $199 to $599. That's a great place to go. I have a whole section of fascial care and classes. I have yin, I have hatha, I have slow flow. Another great place is Wildling. They make tools and they're very, very wonderful about encouraging other people by creating YouTube Mm. clips that guide them. They got me into Gua Sha and knowing more about how to use it on my face with the face map. So they're a great resource. I also really like a man named Eric Goodman, and he teaches functional movement. He's on YouTube as well. Yoga Medicine, their Instagram is great for a lot of free information. And I think honestly, a lot of it is just exploring, Mm -hmm. being able to just take a fascia ball and roll out your chest and see what you feel. You're not going to damage yourself, so to speak. You know, you get to control the level of pressure and sensory input. So I would highly encourage people, you don't need to take a class. If you don't want to, just grab a ball, start to massage, feel into your body, and spend that time learning and discovering some of those trigger points because they're going to be different for each of us. And what's really hard about fascia and where our Western culture gets kind of caught or stuck is that if I have a ripple, meaning if I have or trigger point in my shoulder, That doesn't mean that I need to work the back of the shoulder. It might actually be I need to work the front of the left pec. So it's not a one size fits all. You have to explore your body to find where these trigger points are. And because the fascia binds together and it's all connected, you can resolve neck issues by rolling out your feet. Right. (laughs) So that's what can make it challenging is you have to be willing to explore and have some level of play with your body and learning as you go. But a good resource, like I said, is the Wildling YouTube channel. That's a great place to go. And yoga medicine has a lot to offer with traditional Chinese medicine and fascial care or my website. I'll make sure to jot all those notes and include them in the show notes so people can check that out. Thank you for that. Yeah. So in kind of wrapping up here, I'm going to, I'm going to think back to some of the key takeaways. I feel like we've covered a lot, which has been awesome. Mm -hmm. So in the topic of, of self-care, 
and trying to encourage people to take more time for themselves. And something that you were just saying that I really love is, you know, get to know yourself and no one is going to know your body. Like you can know Mm -hmm. your body and you are always going to be the best advocate for yourself, even though you might find trusted advisors and people that you can bounce things off of. I feel like sometimes Mm -hmm. in the world that we live in, people want to be like that expert, you know, like that guru or that person that's like Mm going to know it all for you. But the more you can know yourself and the more that you can bring within your own control, I think the better. So Mm -hmm. I love the idea of just like not having to follow such strict protocols all the time, because I feel like that removes the onus of of you really knowing yourself Mm -hmm. and putting everything through your own filter of like, Hey, how does this really truly Mm -hmm. feel to me? Not just because someone told me to do it this Mm -hmm. way, but like, does this truly feel right to me? So I, I, I was thinking about that as we were talking, but So I think we covered get outside in nature, eat more greens, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. stay hydrated. That's like basics. Like if you're not start there. Yeah. So yeah, you'll feel totally different if you do manage just those things. And consistency I think is key. Even if you can't do it every day, Mm -hmm. you know, don't go, don't go longer than two days without trying to pay attention to it and bringing it in. I think that's good. Yeah. And then I also, you know, really liked your approach to movement. And this is actually something I was thinking about mm-hmm. today is, again, I feel like everyone out there is trying to sell you like their protocol. And I yeah. like the idea of an open protocol and just focusing on movement and focusing on yeah. movement that feels right in your body. Yeah. And so am I missing anything that we, that might be good takeaways? No, I think that's great. And just like keep it, self-care literally is something in this moment where you can feel loved and cared for. And I think you're so right in terms of we're always looking for a guru or someone to tell us. And I even tell people like, I'm not your guru. I'm literally just holding space for you and practicing beside you. And so a huge takeaway is whatever allows you to feel in this moment, loved and cared for, where you can get to the source of your need, that might be a glass of water, that might be stepping outside, that might be taking a deep breath. Like that's the place to start. That's what I want for all my students is just for them to feel more freedom and safety in their body and to have less judgment on how that needs to look. Cause it's going to change. It's subject to change. So yeah, getting to the source of your needs without numbing out and doing the next right step that you can do today for yourself to feel good. And it's going to change day by day. I love that. That was a perfect wrap up. How can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Yeah. Instagram is a great place. My Functional Yoga. My website, myfunctionalyoga.online. Those are probably the two best places. I don't post that often on Facebook. I'm more of an Instagram gal and my website. So anybody local to Texas or Waco, what's the name of your studio? My Functional Yoga with Sherrod. Okay. I love it. Of course. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Sharon. This was such a fun talk and I really appreciate everything you shared today. Yeah, thank you. It was good to spend time with you. Thank you for listening to Humanize the Hustle podcast. If you would like to get in touch with the show, email me at myalchemylife at gml.com or follow me on Instagram at wellnesswithalicia. And if you like the show, please share it with someone you love and make sure and give us a five-star review. Talk to you next time. And remember, health and happiness is non-negotiable. 